Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how can you tell if someone is alive, if you need to check? Well, I think the nurses, the medical people at our midst and, and first responders, they would maybe think of taking somebody's pulse. But if you're a parent and if you have a little child, and especially when you're a new parent and the, the baby's sleeping, and have you ever had it that you've just kind of looked and you get closer and, and they're just so still and, and you wait to see that little rise and fall of that little chest and then you're like, Okay, the child is still okay because they're breathing. I know that's what I was like as when I had little children, and perhaps that's something that more of us experience. Breathing is certainly a sign that somebody is alive. It is a, an important part of being alive, and it's not something you can just do now and again. You need to be breathing all the time. Breathing helps keep you alive because it in very simple terms, causes this important exchange to happen where you exhale carbon dioxide and you inhale oxygen. And although we need to breathe all the time, and that needs to happen all the time, when we work hard, for instance, if you're running or doing very intense exercise, the harder we work, the harder we breathe, right? I mean... If you're going to be running sprinting or running a marathon or doing something very intensive, you don't say to yourself, well, I don't have time to breathe right now because I've got to concentrate on this physical exercise that I'm doing. That wouldn't make sense. Now, prayer is much like breathing for our spiritual life. It's a natural part of being alive in Christ. And that's why the scripture says, pray without ceasing. It's something that ought to be happening literally all the time. Now, there are different ways. We can pray out loud. We can pray in our hearts. We can pray together with others. We can pray as a congregation. But prayer is an ongoing activity in the Christian life. It is part of being alive in Christ. And there's this great exchange that happens in prayer as we give over our anxieties and our needs to God. And as we get peace, and Christian contentment. And the harder the battle, the more strenuous the spiritual exercise, the more we need to pray. Luther said that if he had an especially busy day, he would spend more time than usual in prayer. And that's a little bit counterintuitive. I mean, even the holiest amongst us might say, well, that sounds very nice, but is that realistic? I mean, I've got a lot of things in my calendar. Is it possible if I have an extra busy day to spend more time in prayer? Is it possible if I'm really exercising more intensively than normal that I would need to breathe more deeply and more intensely? And so as we begin that section of the year when, as church, we go through our prayer training, which we do every year, we should be asking ourselves, in my Christian walk, am I holding my breath? Am I holding my breath? Now, you know what happens if you hold your breath too long. 
it's not healthy for you. Are we holding our breath when it comes to the spiritual life? Now, every year, as we go through the catechism, we're doing this basic training over and over and over. And every year, the church reminds us from Scripture how important prayer is. Now, most of the catechisms going back centuries and thousands of years, most of the catechisms deal with the three things that all catechumens, all the people coming to be trained in the faith and to be baptized in the faith, had to know. They had to know the Apostles' Creed, which is a summary of the whole story of the Scripture, the whole narrative of Scripture. They had to know the Ten Commandments, and they had to know the Lord's Prayer. And those three things are what the catechism deals with and explains line by line and word by word. And so that's one way that the catechism is structured. It, it deals with those three important texts that every Christian ought to know. It's the most basic knowledge that a Christian should know. And then the young men that put the catechism together were blessed with wisdom by the Holy Spirit to take those things and weave them into what is basically the story of salvation. As you begin at the beginning with sin and misery, as you proceed to deliverance, salvation, and you end up in the last part with thankfulness. And so we have those three well-known parts of the catechism, sin, salvation, and service, guilt, grace, and gratitude. Now, we've been going through the catechism this year again, and we've come to the last part, the third part, which is gratitude. We've dealt with the Ten Commandments, and now we're dealing with the Lord's Prayer. And so what we've been shown from the Scriptures is that being justified by faith in Christ, having been washed in the blood of Christ and cleansed from all the guilt of sin, we are now free. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. We are free to live according to the perfect law of freedom. We can be who God created us to be. We can do what God created us to do. We can love God. We can love our neighbor. That's what Jesus has come to do, to set us free from slavery to sin, to be totally dedicated to loving God and loving our neighbor. And that's why the, the commandments even though they're mentioned in the part on sin and misery as a mirror that shows our sin, they're mainly dealt with in the catechism, the part on thankfulness, because it's a guideline for how to rejoice in the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we look at the commandments and we say, well, I'm a Christian, and Jesus has washed my sins away, and the power of the Holy Spirit of God is in me, and I'm going to go serve God. And then we find out that we've still got these leftovers of the old me, the old nature, the flesh. And we understand that Christ has set us free from the power of sin. Sin is no longer our boss. Sin can't tell us what to do. We can say no. We're set free from the dominion of sin, the power of sin, but we are not set free from the presence of sin, not yet. That will come when Jesus returns or when we are taken from this life to be in his presence. And so what happens then is that 
when God draws sinners from the darkness to the light, when he adopts men, women, and children as his beloved children, that starts a massive struggle and battle. And Paul speaks about that battle in Romans chapter 7. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, in my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And so to be a Christian means to be launched on a lifetime of struggle. It gets tiring sometimes, doesn't it? And when you stop struggling, you default to what is not good. It's kind of like, and I've mentioned this recently in another sermon, it's kind of like when you're canoeing upstream, as long as you're paddling, you can make some progress depending on how bad the current is. But when you rest your oars, your paddles, then you don't stay where you are, but you start floating downstream. When we go on autopilot, and do you notice that in your life? If you just kind of go on autopilot and don't really think too much, don't be too intentional, your body tends to get into the groove, into the old routines of the flesh, where you seek the things which please you and which you desire. And so this struggle is, is, is something which we face, and because of it, as God's children, the Holy Spirit incites in us a longing, a longing to be perfect, a longing to be free from this body of death, this broken body which still has so many tendencies of the old nature, a longing, a deep-seated desire to be more like the Lord Jesus, to grow in, in sanctification and in holiness. And as we long for that, as we desire that, we learn from the Scriptures and from experience that no matter how hard we try, we can't make ourselves better. We can't make ourselves more like the Lord Jesus. Our only hope is that God's Spirit would change us to be more like Him. And, and when we understand that that is our only hope, then that longing to be like Christ incites us to fervent, regular, heartfelt prayer. Now, this is important. But this is the main focus of prayer to call upon God and say, God, change me so that I can worship you rightly. You know, we often bring prayer down to some very, very basic administrative things, some very practical things. Lord, here's the list of things that I need. Would you please deliver as soon as you can? It's a, it's a very transactional thing. But that's not the way that prayer is taught us in the Scriptures. The Catechism tells us that this is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. How does that work? What does that mean, that prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness? And well, we, we can look at Psalm 50 where the Lord says, you know, stop bringing me your useless offerings without a heart. Just call upon me 
Acknowledge me as your Father, as your Lord, as your God. And then your outward worship will mean something. God wants, in the first place, a personal relationship with us as individuals and as families and congregation. He doesn't want a transactional thing where we're just coming with a shopping list and he's delivering the goods. The Lord Jesus Christ died to free you from the power of sin. The Lord Jesus Christ died to make you more and more like him. And thanksgiving says, Lord, if Jesus did that, if he paid that price, then please make that happen in my life. I, I want to be like Christ. I want to be holy like him. I want to love you like he loves you. And it is the height of ungratefulness to be callous about this. Jesus thought it was worth suffering death and hell to change me, but actually I think that's a bit much. I mean, I'm quite happy with the way I am. You know, to be a Christian and not to be pouring out your heart in prayer, not to be fervent in prayer, not to be always asking God, Lord, change me, work in me, make me like Christ, is to be a Christian who does not understand who Christ is and what he has done and what his purpose is for me. So the Christian life is not happy with the way that I am in myself. The Christian life is to be very happy with who I am in the Lord Jesus. And I want to think like him. I want to speak like him. I want to act like him. I want to desire what he desires. I want to be more and more reflecting his character, his image. And I want to be less and less who I used to be. The sinner who is in Adam. Adam the fallen. And so there's this pitched battle going on in our lives, in our souls. The devil is doing his very best to make us stay like the fallen Adam, to become more and more like Adam in his death. And the Spirit of God is working in us to change us, to be more like the Lord Jesus, to be like the last Adam in his resurrection and life. And in this battle, God has given us prayer not just as a way of showing thankfulness for the work of Christ and his Spirit, but also as a means of grace, as a way that it pleases him to give us what we need in the battle. God often works, usually works that way. He works through means. And the means that he likes to use to give us what we need in the great battle against sin, the great battle to grow in holiness, the means that he gives us is the means of prayer, amongst other things. And so that's why prayer is so important. Now, knowing how important it is, what should be the content of our prayer? And the Catechism confesses what Scripture teaches, that, that God gives us what we need. That's the important bit. He gives us what we need. If we pray for things we don't need, if we pray for earthly success, if we pray for people to, to look up to us, if we pray for people and things to satisfy us and to give meaning to our life. Well, we heard that this morning, didn't we? That that is no basis, that's no foundation on which to build your life. It's the last thing that we need, actually. And so if we ask for it, hopefully God won't give it. Because if he does, it would be judgment and not blessing. So what do we need? Well, we need God. 
And we need strength and resources to worship God and to honor God and to live for God and to obey God. And that's why the Lord Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer. And you'll notice as you look at question and answer 119 that the Lord's Prayer begins with God and His kingdom and it ends with God, His power, His glory, and His kingdom. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. So the glory of God and the kingdom of God. Your will be done. His power is to reign supreme on the earth. And then it ends with those same three things. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Begins and it ends with seeking God. God's glory. God's kingdom. And that means that every little thing that we ask for in prayer, even the smallest, most practical needs like food and drink, we ask not for ourselves, but we ask in context of service to King Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. And that's why, and we will see that later on in the Catechism, when we ask for our daily bread, for instance, the, the, the word used there in the Scriptures refers kind of to daily rations. It's like a, a military person who's asking for their daily rations, that what they need for the day, what they need to be serving, what they need to be faithful in their job in the army of God. It all has to do with Him. And so that's why it's important to pray. That's what we should pray for. Now, to whom? To whom do we pray? The Catechism also deals with that as it begins to look at the first lines of the apostles of, of the Lord's Prayer. So we pray to that great king who is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ and in Christ is our beloved father. We're not praying to a genie in a lamp. We're not rubbing a lamp. The genie appears and says, what are your three wishes? Sometimes we treat prayer like that, but that's not what prayer is. We are praying to the eternal, to the almighty, to the king of kings, to the Lord of lords, to the creator and ruler of the universe, to the one who is highly exalted above everything and everyone, to the one who is owed all worship for all time from all creatures, and who at the same time has come near to us and said, I am your father and I love you and you are part of my family. And we are asking then, as we address him, we are asking for everything we need to be and to act as faithful soldiers of the kingdom of heaven, faithful children of the king of kings. And so imagine a soldier on the front lines, a soldier who has a radio and can call for unlimited resources. What a dream that would be, a soldier that has access to unlimited resources of every type, air support, artillery, reinforcements, supplies of food and ammunition and equipment, all of that is just a radio call away. Does it make sense to leave the radio turned off? Does it make sense to grab his little rifle and try to prosecute the war on his own when he has all these incredible resources, just a radio call away? You know, a smart soldier in that situation, every contact with the enemy, every sighting of the enemy, he's on the, on the radio right away. He's, he's communicating the size and the composition, the disposition of the enemy. He's calling for airstrikes and artillery strikes and everything that he needs to win the battle, to destroy the enemy 
to advance the kingdom. Why? Because he wants to win. That's what war is about. It is for the glory of the kingdom. It is for the glory of the king that he serves. So that would be a, a, a wise and faithful soldier communicating every need and calling for every help. Well, think of another soldier who is not so wise and not so faithful. This soldier is fiddling with the radio and he's tuning it to other frequencies that aren't on, his, uh, on the frequencies that he's supposed to be on. He tunes into the enemy network and starts chatting with the enemy, joking around, fraternizing with them, listening to their propaganda. And he gets so caught up in this that he has no time or inclination to communicate needs, to request support, and to await orders. In fact, because he's so set on tuning into the enemy, he can't even hear the orders that come from the commander-in-chief. Well, what's going to happen to that second soldier? He's going to be, his position will be overrun. His unit will be captured and destroyed. And hopefully you can translate that analogy into the need for prayer. So how is your battle with sin going? Is it a battle? Is it a fight to the death? Is this something intentional? Is this on your radar? Is this on your to-do list every day? Fight sin. Kill sin. Kill, mortify the flesh. Are you battling to put to death the works of the flesh? And when you realize, as I realize, as we all realize, that I can't do this, are you crying out to God and asking him, to work in you the sanctifying power of the Spirit of Christ as you are, as we are overrun by the enemy and we see that the, the enemy is too strong and we cannot conquer, we cannot prevail against them. Are we grabbing that radio and saying, God, send me what I need and send it now. Destroy the enemy and let me advance in your power and with your resources because I have none. That means, brothers and sisters, that we're praying deliberately, that we're praying intentionally, that we're praying personally, that we're praying regularly. You know, it's so easy for spiritual exercises to become routines where we just churn out the same words every day and we don't even think about them anymore. Because let's face it, how many different ways can you ask the Lord to bless your food? There's a limited number of ways to do that. So we can fall into this routine where we, we always tell God what time it is, and then we ask him for a blessing on what we're doing, and then we say amen. And we, can, we, do, that, we do that so often that we can do it without thinking. And so what we are called to do by the Scripture, by the church in the confession today as well, is to do these things thoughtfully and deliberately, to cultivate a life of prayer. How do you start your day? What's, what's the first thing on your, on your list of activities? You know, because, because the first thing you do in the, in the morning when you wake up and the last thing you do before you sleep, that will tell you what's most important or what's one of the most important things in your life. And it's a good habit. It doesn't mean to say that you have to do this. Every Christian has to do this. I mean, we all have our different ways of doing things, but it is a good habit 
to make one of the first things we do in the morning to open up our hearts and to pray to God. Because if the first thing that I do in the morning is check my social media or check my stock market numbers, what's really driving my life? What what is most important for me? So do we cultivate personal, deliberate, intentional, regular prayer? Do we cultivate prayer with husband and wife? Do we cultivate prayer with our children? Do we cultivate prayer with our friends? Now, as many of us are from Dutch immigrant background, if you go back enough generations anyway, a lot of us are quite uncomfortable with that. We see that as a little bit evangelical to just say, well, what, we've been talking about something here, and why do we just pray about that? So, it's not the beginning of a meal. It's not the beginning of a meeting. It's not a church of us. Why are you suggesting such a strange thing? Brothers and sisters, it should not be a strange thing. You know, just because we come from a very rich theological heritage doesn't mean to say we can't learn stuff from others. And one thing we definitely do need to learn is a readiness to pray. That when somebody's pouring out their heart to us, and even right after church, and they're saying, this is what I'm going through, What's stopping us from saying, let's just pray together quietly here in the corner against on the side of the room. Let's just pray and have a short prayer and ask God to bless you. Now, invariably, the elders find that people who get caught up in sin, people that get stuck in it, who start living in it, not, they don't fall into it and then repent, but they, they start living in it. It starts controlling their lives almost always, I would say always, in fact, in my pastoral experience of a number of decades, always, those are people who have neglected daily prayer. They've neglected daily reading of the Word. And that has consequences. It's actually quite simple. If you make it a priority to be in the Word, if you make it a priority to be in prayer, then you will be clad in the whole armor of God. You will pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Did you hear Paul there in Ephesians 6? Praying at all times, all times, in the Spirit, with all prayer. That means every type of prayer and supplication. That's how we fight our battles. That's how we overcome. With the Word of God, open the sword of the Spirit in our hands. And with our hands lifted up in thankful prayer. And with a heart which worships God and longs for God. And pours itself out to God. And seeks the face of God. And cries out to God says, God, this is my battle. I cannot fight it myself. But in your strength I can. Give me what I need. And I shall overcome. Let's pray together. Lord, As over the next few weeks, the church trains us from the scriptures in how to pray. We ask that your good spirit would equip us to be constant in prayer, faithful in prayer, unceasing in prayer. That you would teach us, Lord, to seek your face in prayer, to pour out our hearts in prayer. Save us, O God, from a shallow, boring, routine, thoughtless, powerless prayer life. But grant us by the power of your Spirit to be prayer warriors so that through our life of fervent prayer, 
we would thank and praise your holy name, and we would find rich blessing and much growth in holiness by the power of the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.